Okay, so I'm really excited to be back with another episode. We are halfway through the third season, and I can't wait for the fun episodes I have planned for the rest of the year. And do you know that you can actually help support the show and get some cool rewards when you set up a monthly pledge at patreon.com? If you're already contributing, thank you so much. And either way, I just love that you're listening right now. But if you want in on this insider action, like special songs and video chats and weird portraits of you, visit patreon.com slash a therapist walks into a bar. Enjoy the show. Heads up, this episode has some talk about depression and suicidal ideation. Please take care when choosing to listen and turn it off if you need to. I promise there's some joyful stuff here too. Well, um, I do sometimes keep a journal. Uh, I mean, like, it's on and off. On days that I feel like writing in my journal, I do write in my journal. But, yeah. What do you, do you know, do you know, like, what makes you feel like (laughs) writing in your journal? Not really. I just kind of, kind of just, you're going to write in your journal now. (laughs) What I kind of do is I kind of just, like, Write what's happened during the day, like like little things, like, oh, I had cereal for breakfast and stuff. <laughs> so, so kind of tracking, like, facts. Well, I mean, sometimes I do do, like, one or two feelings, but not usually, no. January 13th, 1993. Writing in a diary every day is very, uh, something. I don't like it. January 26th. I took a bath last night. Right now, in Brooklyn, New York, historical research is underway. We are learning about puberty in gym. (laughs) (laughs) That is dumb. Jedediah Baker and Tori Paquette are the historians who've embarked on the task of analyzing a primary source document. The Diary of a 12-Year-Old Boy in Morrisville, Vermont, from 1993. So far, they've learned about the boy's likes and dislikes. I hate homework. His jerk brother. Josie is an a-hole. His mother and father's recent divorce. I didn't have divorce group today. His friends and crushes. Donnie likes Janina. I sort of like her. His pet bird. Small town restaurants and thrift shops, the latest video game releases, and occasional bits of national news filtered into his consciousness. People are stupid. Lots of killing is going on. Oh. I have a loose tooth. It hurts. I am mad. I'm having some difficulty kind of squaring away the fact that it's me who wrote this diary. That's Jedediah Baker. Basically, I'm doing this because this year is 25 years since I kept the diary. And I kind of, I pay a lot of attention to anniversaries. Not important anniversaries, just like, (laughs) it's been a year since this event, it's been a year since that event, not, you know. Um, And I I kind of, I'm I'm fascinated by that that chunk of time and how we measure ourselves against where we were a year ago, where we were two years ago. Like, I know two years ago, I was just about to slip into this, like, shitty-ass time. Um, A year ago, I was just getting comfortable with the idea that it was over. And then, you know, 25 years ago this month, uh, I hated homework. 
But what could Jed's shitty-ass time two years ago have to do with the kid in the diary? There's this cliche that all therapists want to do is make you talk about the past. Even though I often reassure new clients that I won't make them talk about anything they don't want to, it's not untrue. A lot of us do really want to know about your childhood. Because the past is never actually in the past, and the present and the future are intricately tied to it. But like any historical research, piecing our own past together is both vital to self-understanding and fraught. And our understanding of history changes with who we are in the present. I'm Lily Sloan, and this is A Therapist Walks Into a Bar. Am I talking too much? What's nope. the theme of this again? <laughs> You're being interviewed, Jeff. I know. Jed is a gregarious, curly-haired, 37-year-old bookworm, copywriter, proud plant dad. And bonding over podcasts and a shared joy of diving into our childhoods, we'd been long-distance friends for a few months before I got to finally meet him at a bar near his home. We're in the backyard of uh, one of my favorite bars in Brooklyn, St. Gambrinus. Gambrinus? Gambrinus? He was a saint. Um, Who was he the saint? Breweries? That's a guess, but I think it's probably right. Uh, we're outside, there's birds chirping. There is a tree with beautiful pink flowers that's dropping its petals all over us in our drinks. Um, this is one of my favorite places. Why? In this borough. It's uh, comfortable, it's quiet. It is, there's this tree, the aforementioned tree, which is really coming down on us. I like to be outside but I also want to be comfortable. And this is, a, this is a place near my house where I know I can do that. Of course, the best way to hang out with a new friend is to record the whole thing. And since Jed likes comfort so much, I wanted to understand why he's putting so much effort into digging through his early adolescent diary. I personally like looking back and like, reading things that have happened that maybe I've forgotten. And what do you think the benefit is of remembering? Well, it just, even now I can look back at my journal and I've only keep, kept it for like a year and a half, pretty much. And um, makes me happy to read it. Why is this particular historical document important to you? I just I don't have vivid memories of uh, practically anything in my life. So the fact that I wrote down my thoughts and feelings for an entire year plus, 25 years ago, this is the most complete, the most accurate kind of collection of who I was that I have from basically my whole life. from the National Archives. For every type of primary source, one, meet the document. Two, observe its parts. Three, try to make sense of it. Four, use it as historical evidence. The fact that I have this kind of collection, indication of who I was, um, this consistent and this complete. Like that's, that's incredible to me because it's literally all that exists. 
But based on Jed's understanding of himself, the existence of this artifact is kind of baffling. I do, I just hope, I hope that we figure that out. It is a mystery to me, it's a mystery to everyone. Like, how did I have the, the stamina to write in this diary every day for over a year? I don't know. Don't stop with document analysis, though. Analysis is just the foundation. Jed and his friend Tori aren't just reading the diary. In 2018, they started a podcast, The Jedda Diaries. Jedediah is a man who once was a boy. To not only document what they were reading, but to share in an exploration of its contents. I'm tired. I ache. Oh boy. Big deal. Who cares? <laughs> I got a magic kit. It sucks. <laughs> Come on, man. I know. What is your problem? There, there's some negativity. I'm immediately judging things. Yeah. I like I play start playing a video game, it's it's too hard. I get a gift, it sucks. I like <laughs> yeah. I get an assignment, I'm gonna fail. Like that's no way to live. But you know, this is I think in previous weeks you do you think that little Jed was depressed or just kind of mildly dissatisfied? Do you think do you think little Jed was depressed? I don't know. As a professional, <laughs> your career your reputation's on the line based on what you've heard. And my license. <laughs> Is it illegal for you to say these sort of things? Um kind of. <laughs> Uh, I do think little Jed was depressed, actually. I mean, you know, tired, tired all the time, totally uncomfortable in his own skin. He was, I was, a, a person to whom the, the world happened. Um, this sense of agency, this idea that I could make a change or I could do something about something I didn't like, didn't exist. It was like, the world is how it is, I'm how I am, it's happening to me and there's nothing I can do about it. And I think that's a sign of that's a sign of depression. This 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 concept that like there's just nothing to be done. I wasn't capable of believing that I believing that I could do something about how I felt. Change is usually subtle, slow, gradual. But it's also usually marked by defining moments. Two years ago, I moved to New York, and I fell into the deepest, darkest depression of my whole life. I was clinically depressed. I was suicidal. Um, I was seeing multiple therapists, and getting out of it seemed impossible while I was in it. But this didn't just come out of nowhere. I have no friends for a while, um, seventh and eighth grade. And I remember this moment where I was sitting at a desk at school and no one was talking to me and I wasn't talking to anyone and I remember just kind of staring at my desk and thinking the thought, if I had a gun right now, I would kill myself. And I probably told my parents about that and they were like, we're going to get you a therapist. I had spent my whole life thinking that happiness, that satisfaction, contentment was was somewhere else. The problem was where I was. And this is so trite, but the problem was inside of me all along. And moving to New York, which I thought was going to solve my kind of this feeling I had, I had had my whole life. And I moved to New York and it didn't fix it. 
And that event, that's what sort of brought me down. That's what kind of made me crumble because it was a last ditch. It was like my last chance and it didn't work. And the benefit of kind of going through that and coming out the other side is now I know that any kind of this discontentment I feel isn't, isn't real. Well, it's real, but it's not gonna be solved by going somewhere else. Making the Jetta Diaries now kind of makes sense in a chronologically tidy sort of way. It's 25 years later, a quarter century. I've been dealing with a lot with it a lot this year, and thinking like, oh, this would be a much more interesting show if these were the if if reading the diary from it would have been 23 years ago, if these were the events that were destroying my psyche and sending me into a, a depression, this would have been a much more interesting podcast. But but there's a little bit of distance now from the version of me that that I was before um, I got hella depressed. Do you think you could have done it then? Oh, that's a great question. Maybe not. I mean, I can barely do it now, and I feel fine. <laughs> um, um, no, probably, probably not. Because I've been trying to. I mean, I you know, I, this is the biggest uh, undertaking I've ever taken in my life. Like as far as a creative project. Who we are when we look into the past matters just as much as the past we're looking into. It's hard to say what the show might have been like if they'd taken this on in the midst of Judd's darkest hour. Having been in therapy a long time, I'm always amazed at how the meaning I make from the old stuff changes depending on where I'm at and my own growth. I just think it's fun to like look back and like read things that have happened for whatever reason. Do you think you remember those things more because you've written them down? No. No. (laughs) No. When you go back and read it, are you ever like, I wrote this? Sometimes. It hasn't been that long yet, so. (laughs) But that, that can definitely happen. That happens to me all the time. Is it, is your journal something where sometimes there's secrets in it that you don't want other people to see? Or is it something that you wouldn't mind if anyone like found it? I really wouldn't mind that much. October 11th. These past two months, I changed a lot. (laughs) I had my first sexual experience, which was fun, I suppose. But because he's a fucking asshole, it means nothing. The bright side is that he didn't exactly get any, only me. Which (laughs) might be why I didn't hear from him again. I don't know. Uh, As I was saying, I made many decisions and came to many realizations over the past week. I smoked weed. I quit the play. And... I love Third Eye Blind. I was 16 when I wrote that. And I've been reading it on stage in front of hundreds of strangers in a show called Mortified for the past decade. The first time, I was 24, 
And it hadn't been all that long since I'd written those words, feeling all that angsty despair of a kind of outsider teenager who was trying to figure out how to feel love while my parents' rocky marriage was coming to an end. Standing on stage, I just hoped no one noticed how much I was shaking. I was pretty unsure if anyone would think it was funny or even understand. One of my favorite revelations from my diary is that even in matters of hopeless romantic longing, I was fairly organized. And now I really like that about myself. So I had this little post-it that I found I had stuck in my diary. And it says, why am I thinking about those stupid bastard boys? Oh, I know. It's because I can't fucking have any of them. And then there's um, two columns. One is for boy. One is for reason that I can't have him. Um, so boy, Brandon, reason, has girlfriend. <laughs> boy, Doug, reason, is ex-boyfriend. <laughs> boy, Maynard, reason, lead singer of Tool. For a lot of those years that I was performing, I was in therapy trying to figure out how to relate to men, along with a lot of other things. But I also spent my 20s in long-term relationships. I thought teenage me, who was always pathetically pining for someone, was replaced by young adult me, thinking I found someone and was on course to getting as far away from teenage me as fucking possible. I kept doing the show, but after the joy of sharing this part of myself wore off, it just started to feel like I was laughing at a caricature of myself. I wasn't really connecting to the girl in the diary anymore. The obsessing about boys, the philosophy 101 musings about the meaninglessness of it all. May 19th. Exactly one month later. Death again. I don't understand how my cycle works. <laughs> I am so scared of dying. Maybe, maybe it's because I don't see anything past life. I can't see anything but nothingness and empty space, a carcass rotting or ashes slowly disintegrating into the earth. <laughs> God, it was so dramatic. <laughs> So now I think about this, and I've been crying for the past hour. Oh, what a day. Maybe listening to Ani DeFranco isn't the best idea. In my 20s, I had a serious boyfriend. Well, a short series of them. I had a career path. I was a grown-up. I remember my therapist even wondering if doing the show was healthy for me. Was I using it to publicly mock and distance myself from an important part of who I am? But then, for whatever reason, I didn't get called in to participate in the show for a few years. And at the same time, a lot changed in my life. I suffered a devastating breakup that left me feeling 100% certain I did not have it all figured out. And for the first time since I was 20, I stayed single for a good, long, soul-searching, length of time, and date still pending. And even feelings about career and adulthood as I ventured into creative work I only dreamed of doing seriously when I was younger, that was shifting too. 
oh, and our country went to shit, and my family went through some big uncomfortable changes. All of this has left me feeling more vulnerable than I felt since I was a teenager. And this is the moment when the producers at Mortified invited me back on stage. April 19th. I never realized until a few minutes ago how truly dangerous PMS can be. <laughs> Why am I feeling so sorry for myself? I thought I was all right, and then I was soaking in the bathtub, listening to music, and I started to think about suicide. Not doing it, but just the whole thing in general. I started thinking about holding my breath underwater, and I began sliding down a little deeper. But then I remembered how much it hurts to have water go up your nose, and the, the angle I was at would have made it impossible for that not to happen. I sat back up. I don't want to die. And if I did, I wouldn't want to die while taking a bath because I would not want to be found naked. Now, getting up there and reading these words, the meaning is transformed. I'm suddenly embodying younger me because she is me. And the stories she tells relate directly to my experience of vulnerability now, as a woman in my 30s. Luckily, I do have better tools to cope. But I get her, and I don't want to push her away. She's showing up at just the right time. This whole experience has me completely disturbed, and I need to tell someone. But I know my mom will make too big a deal out of it, and everyone else will just make fun of me behind my back because I'm such a fucking drama queen. And sharing her with an audience reminds me I wasn't as alone then as I thought I was. And I'm not alone now. Oh, there's a fort? Okay. This is the fort. So the, the fort is a hammock for one. Yes. Uh, it is actually my hammock, my, my, my fort, because I pretty much built it all myself. Oh, you did? Yes. You put these hooks in? Uh, my dad helped me with that. That's so cool. Yeah. This is all your design. There's no primary source document that's free of context or perspective. Who's writing it? Why? Who's the intended audience? A diary may be private, or at least intended to be, but our experiences are a mix of alone and shared. Judd and I both reveal something about our relationships to people in our lives and leave some key information out, either because we're pushing away our thoughts and feelings or because there's a lot we just weren't aware of. Um, I think I, I considered myself to be a victim, basically, 25 years ago. A victim of my brother, who was a bully and who was mean to me. A victim of the kids at school. Um, Through making the Jedha Diaries, Jed has had the chance to reevaluate some of his story. Before he lived in New York, he spent a few years in San Francisco. Moving to California made me friends with my brother for the first time in my life, really friends. So before I moved to San Francisco, where my brother lived, we were more like associates, like we would talk occasionally, but like not very close. And he lived in San Francisco, and I moved to San Francisco. I lived around the corner from him. I could see his, he owns a bakery. I could see his bakery from my bedroom. So like we, we hung out like once a week, at least for several years, and we became friends. But even through that, my conception of him as a, as a younger brother 25 years ago was, was like an unrelenting bully. And like, like he had it out for me. 
and he was always like hurting me and beating me up. By looking through the diary, I mean, he was a bully to me, but I realized that my conception of our relationship when I was younger was not, it wasn't the full story, like anything. We were both kind of processing the divorce differently. Making this podcast and reading through the diary means Jed and Josie have been talking about it. And it also means we get to listen in on those conversations. Let me read this entry to you, I guess. I think that's probably the best way to do this. Ready? January 10th, 1993. Josie is a jerk. I hate him so much. Oh, my God. He strangled me a lot today. Oh, my God. Nothing else happened. Today I went skiing. Um, So that's, you know, why did you strangle me a lot that day? (laughs) Oh, God. Oh, my goodness. Why did I strangle you a lot that day? I mean, I was an angry little boy. And unfortunately, I... I found an outlet for that anger in in strangling you. <laughs> I mean, it's not it's not I do not approve of it and if if I if I were there now, not only would I say, "Hey Josie, don't don't strangle your brother," but I wouldn't allow it to happen. Josie admits he took out his aggression on Jed, but then there's this message he left after hearing about a particularly bloody entry that challenged Jed's memory of his brother. Brother, oh my God. Hearing you say that I hit you in the nose with the chairlift bar, that moment has been forever seared into my consciousness. It broke my heart when that happened. It made me so sad. I'm still sad about it. Seeing how how bad it hurt you, I remember there was blood. It was like a little traumatic. And yeah, you thought that I did it on purpose. You were so upset with me. And I really didn't do it on purpose. Oh my God. It's crazy. I can remember it so clearly. I felt, I felt bad about it for so long. I mean, I still feel bad about it. Jesus, I promise you, brother, I didn't do it on purpose. And I'm sorry that it happened. I could cry. Everyone else was living their lives at the same time. And and kind of paradoxically, going through the diary, which is very specific to me and and my time, I'm I'm learning that, like, everyone else had their own stuff to deal with. I mean, you know, everybody was dealing with the divorce. It had just happened. It was fresh. Like, our lives were blown apart, all of our lives. And I think I was dealing with it by being very sad and tired. Josie was dealing dealing with it by being very aggressive and angry. Our parents were dealing with it, dealing with it in their own ways. Um, 
And it's making me look at that divorce as an event, which I've never kind of really thought about. I mean, it was 20, 25, 26 years ago. And it probably had more of an effect on me than I realize. We build on the work we've already done, but we don't exactly get over stuff. It keeps cycling back. Though who we are when we encounter it again has likely shifted. You'll grieve forever. I think the safe, the safe thing, yeah, the safe thing to think. I used to do this thing a lot. I don't do it anymore, but I'd feel bad about feeling bad. <laughs> and um, now I just feel bad. And that's, a, that's progress. <laughs> It struck me that for both Jed and me, our parents' divorces served as a backdrop, but were rarely mentioned in our diaries, if at all. And I don't think this was accidental, nor was it conscious. Little Jed did occasionally mention divorce-related activities, like a divorce support group he went to. But he never drew a line between the divorce and any distress he was feeling. Well, I mean, I definitely was dealing with it, but I don't think I was dealing with it enough. But I mean, at some point, it's, you deal with it all you can. I mean, what are you going to do? You're a kid. You got, you got life to live. You can't talk about it all the time. And I could talk all the time, but not about it. My diary was chocked full of emotional outpouring from my 15 to 18 year old self. Grief, longing, rage, all feelings you might expect from someone in response to a divorce but they were all directed elsewhere. In fact, I barely mentioned my parents at all. Between the two of us, you might find clues to how we were coping. Jed weighed down by a general tiredness and dissatisfaction. And me, directing all my emotional volatility anywhere except toward the very most vulnerable, impossible thing. And for both of us, these reactions and coping strategies kind of still ring true. And I think that's clear in the diary. I think that 25 years ago, I, I'm, I'm very discontent and I'm imagining a life that is not what I have. And, you know, from then until, until a few years ago, that's what I was like searching for. But, you know, I also learned from listening to the Jetta Diaries that some of the good stuff stays with us too. June 26th. I am home. Yay. I miss Vinny and Phil and Jade and Ben. The circus was okay. I can do a cartwheel. Whoa! I can still do a cartwheel today. Oh, yeah? So, that you learned from... Yeah. Oh. I mean, I, I clearly, I learned a cartwheel this week, oh. 25 years ago. Yeah. A skill I still maintain. That's great. Yeah. Can you do a cartwheel? No, I can't. Come on. I, I can't. I've tried. and I'm terrible at it. This is no place to cartwheel. <laughs> <laughs> just I've been I like got a look in my eyes and I stared at Tori and I was yeah. like I'm gonna teach this man to do a cartwheel right here and now we don't just leave the past in the past because the past always comes back if we accept that our stories about ourselves are going to change we can make use of them in a flexible evolving way I'm 11 years old how long have you been 11 years old um, Is that like something you've been doing your whole life or did you did, did you work up to that Four and eleven. Wow! So it just came. Being eleven came to you naturally. Yeah, it kind of just clicked. <laughs> you didn't have to think about it much. No. No. Just came to me. <laughs> and what grade are you in? Uh, I'm in fifth grade. That's my niece Ada. I spent an afternoon running around the yard with her and my nine-year-old nephew Lyndon. I only get to see them once every year or two. 
I get this magical glimpse into how their humor, play, and self-awareness is constantly changing, and it's such a trip. Like, now we're having this full-on silly banter, but as we move in and out of sincerity and sarcasm, and they let me peek into their present worlds, I wonder, what about this will they remember? What will seem important to them 25 years from now? How will the narratives of their lives evolve and change? What will actively nag at them or hurt later on? And where will they draw their strength and joy from? Where do you think the cricket's eyes are? What? Where do you think the cricket's eyes are? They're literally right there. Yeah, I thought those were something else. Is this a certain kind of cricket? Possibly. Wait, is it? It's recording. Oh, wow. Oh, oh, there it goes, there it goes. It goes away. I still see it. Yeah. Really? They just hang out. Um. A Therapist Walks Into a Bar is produced by me, Lily Sloan. Emily Shaw is my story editor. I composed the music except for the song Co-Locate by Poddington Bear for Jed's Diary Clips and the theme to the Jedda Diaries by Marshall York. Thank you, Jedediah Baker, for being part of this episode. Please, please go subscribe and listen to the Jedda Diaries. You can find it wherever you listen to podcasts. Thank you, Ada and Lyndon, for playing with me. I love you so much, and watching you grow up is one of the greatest joys, even though you're far away. Thank you, Josie Baker and Tori Paquette, for lending your voices to this story. And thank you, Matt Stevens, for hanging out during Jed's interview and taking your temporary co-producer role very yeah, seriously. Because this, yeah, just because there's a few things I want to make sure I ask before we're done. What, what questions are we covering? Well, I want to ask, now like... That I'm a co-producer? Yeah. If you don't know about Mortified, go to getmortified.com and see if there are performances in your city and listen to their podcast from Radiotopia or watch their series on Netflix. It's very cathartic and fun. Subscribe to this show in your favorite podcast listening place so you don't miss anything. And... You have on iTunes! Okay, just like that, but slightly slower. And kind of at the same time as my... Yeah. So one, two, three. Leave a Leave review, review on, on iTunes. iTunes! Maybe or maybe not, please don't. <laughs> can you tell people where they can find uh, more information about the show? Uh, you can find more information on the show in my sister's diary. Or a therapist walks into a bar.com and visit patreon.com slash a therapist walks into a bar to become a patron of the show. Give this lady only a penny at Patreon. Or more. Only a penny. (laughs) Give me all your money. Oh, this is really good stuff. Oh my god. Silence. Thanks for listening. (laughs) 